Good morning. Good morning. If you're able, please stand to show reverence to the Lord as we join in hearing his word. Our Old Testament reading this morning is Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Our New Testament reading comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
Let us pray. Our Father, thank you that your word is forever settled in heaven. Lord, but often it's unsettling to us. But we pray that by the help of your spirit, you would settle our hearts and let us see the Lord Jesus Christ and the great grace that you've given to us through him, that we might be drawn to worship. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This past Thursday was Epiphany, and Epiphany, as you've heard, it occurs 12 days after Christmas. In some cultures, it's still a day of gift-giving. Uh, looking back at the, and it looks back to the time when, when the, these three kings, it's supposed, brought gifts. In some countries, are where our Latino brothers and sisters are, it's called Dia de Reyes, Three Kings Day. And Epiphany is the revealing of Jesus as Lord and, and King of the nations. The Messiah the Jews were looking for and the King the world needs. So it's a very significant time in the church calendar. And we need to remember, we need to be reminded that Jesus is not just a Savior who takes away our sins, which... We can't place a value on that. But he is also the Lord of lords and the king of kings. To all world leaders that are, that are living now or have ever lived are destined to bow before him and, and to confess that he is Lord. And Christians, Christians need to remember this as they, as they go into a world that rejects Christ, as they interact in, in the culture, and in a culture that, that suppresses the truth in unrighteousness, as they seek to obey Christ in, in an increasingly oppressive, individualistic society. Because, you know, it's, it's not a popular thing to talk about exclusively worshiping Jesus Christ as God and King. Yet, the only way, the only way for the believer to get through the current times is to be guided by the blazing beauty of Christ that becomes more captivating as you worship him. And that's what the Epiphany text teaches us as we see the wise men falling down to worship him. So, as we recount the event of the, the visit of the Magi, we want to, to see how the beauty of Christ compelled them to worship. To see the beauty of Christ, we must see what happened in the lives of these historical characters. And from the account, we see the pursuit of worshiping him, the prediction of worshiping him, the pretense of worshiping him, the prostration of worshiping him, and the preciousness of worshiping him. You say, boy, you've got five points. You must not have preached in a while. <laughs> well, hopefully this sermon has eternal implications without being everlasting in its duration. 
So let's look at this, the, the pursuit of worshiping him. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now notice that this, this is an actual event. And here, here Matthew records, he records it this way, stating that Jesus was born. And he states a time, in the days of Herod the king, that these are, are real historical events and, and not fairy tales. Fairy tales begin with once upon a time, but that's not, what, that's not what's happening here. This begins with reporting what the events were of the times. See, this is, this is important in the pursuit of worshiping Christ because you're not coming, you're not coming to a fictional character. You're coming, this, this is Jesus. Jesus is a real person set in a real town, Bethlehem, under a real government, Herod the king. And he's being sought after by a real group of wise men who followed a real star that led them to the real Jerusalem. You see, the beauty, of Christ, the beauty of Christ, we see it here in his participation in our humanity and his submission to the rules of a broken world. Remember, the scripture tells us that he came unto his own and his own received him not. But then, too, his beauty is compelling in, this, in, this, in the singular focus of the wise men. They were so driven that they would stand in the town in front of the king, of King Herod, and ask for another king. See, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? That's audacious. They're fearless. They're undaunted, these men were. They traveled far and long, and they weren't even at their destination yet. They didn't care what Herod or Rome thought. They weren't their subjects. They wanted the Christ. His beauty, being the Messiah, is so compelling. It's so compelling that you call out to know where is he. Why had they come? What is, what is the, the, the end of their pursuit? They told us, we have seen his star and the star is beautiful, right? And have come to worship him. We must find him. And we're compelled to pursue him in worship. But they hadn't found him yet. They needed more information. So there's the prediction of worshiping him. Look at verses 3 and 6. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. He told them, he told, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. You see, the wise men's pursuit of worshiping Christ, it upset the king and the whole town. You know, the word, that word trouble means an inward commotion. 
to take away one's calmness of, of mind, a, a disturbance of the peace, if you will. This is where the star had led them. That's so that their worship would become a disturbance. And now, the irony of these Gentiles coming to the Jews to ask about their Messiah can't be lost on us. Because the wise, the wise men had a star that led them. Not to their destination, but to, but, but to a detour where the Jews, who had the word of God, to whom the promises were made, the ones to, who were, were to be a light to the Gentiles, and these, and, and, and these chief priests and, and scribes, they're being disturbed, they're not at peace, and they would tell these Gentile nomads where the Messiah is to be born. The prediction had been made hundreds of years before Bethlehem in the land of Judah, from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel, Jew and Gentile. You see, Jew and Gentile meeting here in Jerusalem to find out where the Messiah is born. But we, the question has to be asked, though, why didn't the chief priests and the scribes see this coming? They knew the scriptures. They knew, they, knew, they knew what the prophets had said. They didn't have any problem when Herod said, hey, so where is the Christ to be born? They had no problem. Popped it right off. But why didn't they see this coming? Isaiah 60 and verse 3 told them, and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And then Isaiah 60 and the end of verse 6, they shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Exactly what hap what's, what's happening? You see, the Gentiles, the Gentiles were hungry to find him. The Jews and their king, Herod, are troubled. But not enough to go with the wise men. Chrysostom is preaching a few hundred centuries after these events, he would say in a sermon, although troubled, they nevertheless did not try to understand what was happening. They did not follow the wise men or even take any particular notice. To this extent, were they both contentious and careless. You see, this is extraordinary because the Jews... See, they hadn't been that far removed from a lot of loss, a lot of murder, a lot of bloodshed, a lot of, a lot of wars, years of wars, and, and, all, and, and some of this happening at the hands of Herod and the Romans. And it's not like they had a great love for the Edomite king. Were they content with the life that they had now under this murderous bloody king and, and the oppressive Roman government that, that made him king? So what, why, why didn't they have this same enthusiasm that, the, that the, the, the Magi had? You see, it's a sad thing to have all of the light, all of the right and beautiful words of God, but no heart to respond to his beauty. The prediction of, of worship that the Magi heard and the detour that led to, to further knowledge inspired them to keep going. However, 
the one who was troubled by this, that, by, by their search, the, the one who is troubled has a different agenda. And he struggled, he struggled with the pretense of worshiping. Look at verse 7 and 8 of Matthew 2. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and, and search diligently for the child. And, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Yeah, Herod was troubled, but he fails to see the beauty of Christ. Yeah, he's, he's, he's like the, the third will in a drama who feigns friendship to the much wiser, smarter, more popular friend only to stab them in the back later in the story. And we've all known people like that. And perhaps you and I have been people like that. You know the type. The, those who like to hang out with that person who's more athletic, they're, 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 more, they're more musical, they, they look better, you know, they're smarter, you know, they're more likable, and all the while you're hoping that, that it will make you feel good about yourself because you're with them and, and others will assign to you the virtue that that more attractive person has. But it's all for show. Pretense. The beauty of Christ challenges our, our insecurities. It exposes our, our envy. And the light of, of Christ's beauty shines and, and shows us the shadows that are, are cast from the idols of our hearts. As you see, pretense is just a, a shallow covering for our insecurities. And, and insecurity is just another word for pride. And you won't pursue worshiping Christ long if you are only following him out of pretense since it's rooted in, in human pride and self-glory. And there's, there's only one cure for the pretense of, of worship, and it's the prostration of worshiping him. Look at verses 9 and 11. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and, and myrrh. You see, the wise men heard Herod's appeal, but they went on their way to reach their, their destination. And having the, having the star guiding them, the wise men finally reached the place where the child was, and this was cause for great joy. They made it! And once inside, once inside the house, the, the first thing they do is to fall down and worship him. There was no diadem upon his head. There's no crown on his head. Yet, you know, they, they worshipped him. He's not an adult. He's not even a young man. But a child. A toddler. Yet, he was so much more than a toddler. He was king of the Jews. And see, there are times... Isn't it? There are times when beauty is so compelling 
that it knocks you off your feet. For some, it's the, that moment when they see their bride coming down the aisle. For some, it's, it's when they first hold their newborn child in, in their arms. And for still some, it's seeing a life transformed. It's seeing shoulders that were slumped lifted. Knees that were, were weakened are, are strengthened to stand. It's, it's watching the load of, of guilt being lifted off a person who has learned they have been forgiven. That is beauty. And it's in those moments you're humble because you're in the presence of a beauty that is so compelling. It fills all of your vision. It, it summons all of your heart. And all you want to do is fall down and stay there. See, that's the prostration of worshiping Christ. It's Isaiah in Isaiah 6 when he's in the temple and he sees the Lord. And Uzziah, whom he had idolized, is now dead. And in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He went to church and the last thing he expected to see was God. That was a joke. But it's there. God changed him. It's there in the presence of the Lord. William Temple, he was the Archbishop of Canterbury some 70 years ago, which is a great statement. He said this about worship. He said, worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, all this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. And the wise men demonstrated this as they fell down and worshiped him. But how? does one demonstrate the value of the beauty of Christ? So just, just what is the preciousness of worshiping him? Look at verses 11 and 12. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Well, there are two things here that show the preciousness of worshiping him. One is their offering. The second thing is their obedience, that they're going, they're, they're going to their own country by another way. So first, note the offering. It was part of their, it was part of their worship. It's what they had prepared to do. They had prepared to do this, and these were expensive gifts, and they carried these gifts with them the whole trip without yielding to any temptation to use it for something else. Has it ever happened to you? You got money that you, that you decide, yeah, I'm going to use it for this, but something else happens, and all of a sudden, you, oh, well, you know, this is, this is more important. That didn't take place uh, with, with, with them. They, were, they never said to themselves, it won't be missed. They don't know that we're bringing these gifts We'll give what's left. No, the beauty of Christ was worth the weight. It was worth the risk. It was worth the deprivation of self-pleasure. And secondly, going home by another way 
that wasn't part of the plan. That would, you know, that, there, was, then, then there was no talk. There was no talk. God, they were warned by, in a dream, not to go back. Oh, but wait a minute. This, 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 this other way, that wasn't the way that we had thought we would go. But, and there's no talk about how far out of the way this might be. You know, there, there's, there's no analysis taking place saying, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine that, 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 that they had talked among themselves. You know, and and they, could have, they could have said this, but there is no record of it. Will we have enough supplies? No such talk. See, this is a journey of faith. And you see, worship always strengthens you for the unexpected turn that God sometimes brings your way. See, continuing the preciousness of worship, it teaches us, counting, or rather counting the preciousness of worship, it teaches us to give up control. If we, you know, now, see, we don't really know whether or not there were three kings in this story. You know, that's just, that's just, that's just assumed from the three gifts that are named. Well, we don't really know that there were three kings. We, but, but when you read this story, if you're giving it a thoughtful read, three kings emerge. You know, there's, there's King Herod. And then there's the king you think you are. And then there's King Jesus. Who's going to win? See, Jesus, this, this, this truth reminds us that God is not bound to always following your plan. If it doesn't turn out, have you ever thought this? If it doesn't turn out like however you describe it, God can't be in it. If something goes wrong, it must be that God wasn't leading. If there's a delay and, and, and you have to wait for months and, and months, it must mean that we're not in God's will. See, the preciousness, the preciousness of, of worship is seen in our obedience to the Lord, not his obedience to our plans. You can't tame God. He might send you a different way home. You can't go back to Herod. And see, seeing the beauty of Christ changes your direction. Hallelujah. So let me ask you, does the beauty of Christ compel you to fall down and worship him? Did you notice in the story, how the wise men went and worshiped Jesus, but the, the, the chief priests and, and the scribes and, and Herod didn't. What makes the difference? What makes the difference between the wise men and Herod and the chief priests and the scribes? Why did the wise men believe and obey and, and the others didn't? Well, the difference is the call of God. God called the wise men before they worshiped, before they pursued worship. In Isaiah 60, it declares that God it declares what God is doing, that he's going to call the nations. And the nations, the passage says, shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And in the story, we read that the star rose and went before them. And that, that phrase, that, that it went before them, it's a phrase that means to, to bring someone forth to trial. So it's, it's, 
if you will, it's a summons, a call, a beckoning. That's what the star was. That's what, that's what they, they, they heard. They, they got the call. God called them. And when God calls, you come. God was calling them to come and worship. That's the difference. And Jesus said this in John 4, 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. You see, worship is not the default position of our hearts. Even now, you're hearing, as you're hearing this message, there might be questions in your mind. Well, why do I need to worship? It's, it's not the default position of our hearts. Sin has us so blinded. Sin has us so deceived. Sin has us so dead that if God doesn't call us to life, no one comes to life. And what a gracious God we serve. Hallelujah. God calls his people to worship him. So don't think that you're here on your own, that it was your choice. No, God called you. You can't respond unless he raises you from the dead. See, all, all, the, all the works that, that you might do, the religion and the acts of religious and, and the religious knowledge won't help you, as, as with the chief priests and the scribes. It didn't help them. You need the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see the beauty of Christ, to see Christ's beauty, the glory of his sacrifice on your behalf, the beauty of his scars that, that brought about your healing. The beauty of a life-giving death as he died in our place. The glory of his righteousness being given to you and me, wherein he became sin for us and the righteousness of God is given to us. Well, did the Tim writer say, what wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the awful curse for my soul, for my soul. Jesus does this, and it's, it's worshiping, it's worship. It's only as you worship Jesus that the gospel transforms your heart. So is our pursuit of worshiping Christ disturbing anyone's peace? It should. Because our, our being led by Christ in the passionate pursuit of his beauty and worship leads us into a deeper unity across the lines of, of race and class. Our belief that the gospel has the power to bring about racial reconciliation across these lines of ethnicity and class is rooted in the worship being the centerpiece of our community. See, and if, if, if we are compelled by the beauty of Christ, then our fellowship as, as Ghanaians, as, as Cameroonians, as, as Koreans, as, as Germans, as, as Puerto Ricans, as, as Cubans, as Colombians, as, as Irish, and, and as, as Greek, and, and well, there are too many to name here because you do want the sermon to end at some point. <laughs> so don't feel offended if I left you out. You'll, you'll, but, 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 but if we're compelled by the beauty of Christ in our fellowship, we're going to cause trouble for some folks. And that's a good thing. It ought to, it ought to upset. And, uh, and I'm saying it's, it's, a good, it's, it's, it's upsetting in a good way that it disturbs our, our, our practice of being segregated, our practice of, of continuing being separated from each other. In so many ways, 
when Christ brought together this unity. Can I talk to you for a minute of what, the, what Christ's beauty does? Because it is compelling. It's compelling. And it does change us. It does transform us. You see, the beauty, the beauty of Christ, it's, it's compelling. It calls you to drop everything, to change your direction, and give up all other pursuits to be in his presence. The beauty of Christ strips you of all self-glory as you find that your little cell phone flashlight of a life is not to be compared to the brilliance of Christ's glory that causes even the sun to hide its face. See, the beauty of Christ is so compelling that before time began, before we had the symbols of language, before there, were, were, there was an alphabet, the universe and all creation was declaring the glory of God. The beauty of Christ is so compelling that it's in its purity and holiness that it exposes and unmasks every pretense that would present itself as genuine. The beauty of Christ is, is so compelling in its worth that the gifts of, of every human being from every nation, tribe, and tongue, that the cries of, of holy, holy, holy that ring out in the throne room of heaven by thousands of, of legions of angels every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every week of every year, it's not enough to tell how much he is worth. Fall down and worship him. Brothers and sisters, my prayer is that you don't look at Epiphany the same way ever again because of who Jesus Christ is. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you chose to reveal your son to us and to many others and that you are at work continuing to reveal him. Lord, make him known and accomplish your will that he must reign until all of his enemies are his footstool. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and join our voices in this hymn of faith as with gladness men of old. <laughs>